0: Welcome to Time Travelling Team, the weekly podcast where we review every story of Doctor Who, right from the very beginning. I'm Trisha.
1: And I'm Patty. Today we will be picking up where we left off last week as we reviewed the remaining eight episodes of the Daleks Master Plan. We will discuss the Doctor, the companions, the villains and give our thoughts on the story as a whole.
0: As we mentioned last week, this is the first time we've split a story like this in two and we would appreciate your feedback on this format. We'd also love to hear your thoughts on the story as a whole. To join the discussion, you can check us out at Time teamp that's T-I-M-E-T-E-A-M-P, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or you can email us at TravellingTeamp at teamproductions.com. Now, though, on to our story recap.
1: Episode 5, Counterplot. The Doctor and Stephen are racing through the hallways in an attempt to avoid the security operatives after them. After noticing that Brett is not following them, the Doctor ushers them into a room to hide until they are in the clear. They notice a strange pedestal in the room containing several mice in a multi-layered and segmented cage. The doctor thinks it must be some sort of experiment and tells Stephen to keep an eye on the door whilst he examines the pedestal. Little do they know that the room is actually an experimental dissemination chamber that is currently in the final stages of a test run. Sarah enters the room and demands to be given the terranium, but before the doctor and Stephen can reply, all three of them are caught in the teleportation energy released by the dissemination chamber. Security Chief Carlton arrives on the scene and demands to know where they have been sent to, but the scientists running the experiment only know that the destination is the distant planet of Mira, which resides on the far edge of the galaxy. Carlton is furious at the setback and orders the scientists to inform him of any update as to whether the fugitives arrived on the planet safely. He then goes to inform Chen of the development. Back on Kemble, the Dalek Supreme orders the communication be sent to Chen for an update on the retrieval of the Cluraneum. Meanwhile, Carlton informs Chen of what has happened, which infuriates him as he believes it will result in the Daleks conquering Earth from themselves as punishment. Carlton, realising that Mira is not that far from Kemble, offers a solution to their problem by suggesting that the fugitives were sent to the planet on purpose by Chen. He can then tell them their overly effective security system displaced them to the planet before they could be apprehended by the security officers and that it would be easier for the Daleks to retrieve them. Chen has doubts about the plan as there is no confirmation as to whether the Terranium survived the process as well but Carlton tells him that even if it was, they are too valuable to the Daleks, as the Sol system is the only one with terranium deposits. Chen regains his composure and begins to grow overconfident, stating that once the terranium is recovered and the war won, then he will be the Daleks' right hand and in prime position to oust them from power and assume control for himself. His megalomania doesn't go unnoticed by Carlton, who also has designs on power. On Mira, the Doctor regains consciousness and goes to look at the pedestal to see what caused her the teleportation. Nearby, Stephen also regains consciousness and finds an unconscious Sarah close to him, whose body is being toyed with by an invisible force mere moments before Stephen woke up. He takes her gun and takes her in their surroundings, calling for the doctor who soon arrives just as Sarah comes to. The doctor tells Stephen to take a look around whilst he takes a day's Sarah with him and tells her not to try anything funny. As they move off, a set of beastly footprints start to appear in the soil nearby, left by some invisible creature of monstrous size. Meanwhile on Kemble, the Dalek Supreme is given Chen's message and then orders the ship to go and retrieve the fugitives. The Doctor explains to Stephen and Sarah that what happened to them. He informs them that the pedestal is transmitting information back to Earth, which most likely means that the Daleks know where they are and will come for them. Unbeknownst to them though, the Daleks have already arrived and made their way towards the transmitter. The Daleks destroy the transmitter, mistakingly believe it to be spying on them and sending information to the fugitives. One of the Daleks reports moving close by, but they cannot see anything. The squad leader says to open fire on any sign of movement, and they do so when a bush begins to move near them. They hear a briefly roar and realise that the creatures are invisible. The squad leader orders them to search for the fugitives whilst keeping an eye out for the invisible creatures. Back on Earth, Carlton is giving Chen the latest update from Mira about the loss of the signal from the transmitter. Chen says that he will need to go back to Campbell and see how things lie. He then orders Carlton to go to Venus and assemble an attack force, which will destroy Campbell once Chen confirms that they have recovered the Terranium. It appears that Chen wishes to accelerate his plan for complete control by eliminating the Daleks and the other d- delegates. The Doctor is scouting around their new hiding spot in a nearby cave when he encounters one of the invisible creatures. He fights it off and realizes that they are Visians, a native life form of the planet Mira. He hurries back to the others, who are arguing over Sarah's killing of Brett and her unquestioning obedience to Chen, despite being told everything that has happened so far. The Doctor comes back and confirms what Stephen has been telling her, which causes her to break down and tearfully reveal that Brett was her brother. The Doctor quickly changes the subject and tells them about their predicament, but as they go to leave, they discover that they are trapped in the cave by a group of Visians. They decide to make a break for it, but before they can, the Daleks arrive. They kill many of the Visians and take the group into custody, causing the Doctor to state to the others that the Daleks have won. Episode 6, Coronas of the Sun The Daleks demand that the Doctor turn over the Terranium, but he refuses, stating that there is no guarantee that he and the others won't be killed once he does so. He says that they can't risk shooting him as they can't risk destroying the Terranium, but the Daleks prepare to execute them anyway. Before they can do anything, a group of Visians attack the Daleks, distracting them long enough for the travellers to escape. Once the Visians are dealt with, the Daleks set off in pursuit of the fugitives. They radio back to Kemble to update the Dalek Supreme on the situation. He ignores suggestions to send reinforcements, stating that the forces on Mira should be enough to deal with the fugitives, and if they fail, then they will be severely punished. The Doctor and the others arrive at the area where the Daleks landed, and they see one of them standing guard. The Doctor approaches the ship, but Sarah says that whatever he has planned will not work, and that the Daleks will be here soon. Stephen says the plan will work, and for her to have faith in the Doctor, as he usually comes out on top against the Daleks. The Doctor draws the attention of the guard, saying that he wishes to surrender in exchange for being safely escorted from the planet. The Dalek demands that he stay there until the patrol arrives, and for the Doctor to give him the Deuteranium. Stephen and Sarah have been sneaking up on the Dalek from behind, and while it is threatening the Doctor, Stephen slaps a glob of mud onto its stock, blinding it and allowing them to escape into the Dalek ship. It begins to shoot its weapon in a blind panic and alerts the nearby patrol, who come back and signal all other groups to return to the ship. Before they can reclaim their vessel, the Doctor manages to seal off the airlocks and they start to fly away. On Kemble, the Dalek Supreme has summoned the newly arrived Shen and both leaders blame the other one for the failure to capture the fugitives and reclaim the terranium. As they are arguing, a messenger arrives with the news that the fugitives have stolen the Pursuit ship and have left the Daleks behind them to fend off the after repeated assaults of the Visians. The Dalek Supreme orders a rescue ship be dispatched to return the stranded Daleks for punishment whilst he goes to personally oversee the reclamation of the Terranium. Chen uses this news to back up his statements that it was actually the Daleks' incompetence that continues to exacerbate the situation. On the stolen Dalek ship, the Doctor is trying to build a replica of the Ignition Core and fill it with a fake substance that will give the illusion of Terranium. Suddenly, the ship starts to change course and they see that they are being steered towards Kemble via remote control. Stevens finds the control unit and rips it from the navigation computer, thus freeing them from the Dalek control. This doesn't go unnoticed with the Daleks on Kemble, who activate a long distance magneton tractor beam to gain control of the ship. The travellers are discussing the best way to give the fake terrarium the distinctive glow of the real thing. Stevens suggests hooking it up to the ship's gravity core but this idea is scoffed at by Sarah and debunked by the Doctor due to its primitive nature. Before they can discuss the matter any further, the ship is hit by the magneton beam and the Doctor and Sarah rush to try and find a way to free themselves again. As they are doing this, Stephen, in an effort to heal his wounded pride, attempts his theory but ends up shocking himself into unconsciousness. The Doctor goes to check on him and Sarah points out that the attempt was successful. The stolen ship begins to descend towards Kemble, and Chen offers to take the fugitives back to Earth so they can be tried for treason there against the Sol system. The Daleks are reluctant to do so, but Chen says that it is known by several people back on Earth that they were transported to Mira, and questions will be asked if they disappear completely. The Dalek Supreme insists that he do what he can to curtail any investigation, and they will take care of the fugitives. They all go out to greet the ship as it is brought to the surface. On the ship, Stevens appears to be in a semi-catatonic state, being unable to speak, but he is able to nod and blink in response to questions. A side effect of the feedback from his experiment has caused him to be enveloped in a close-range force field. The Doctor has a plan and gives Stephen the fake so he can bring it outside with them. They are surrounded by the Daleks, but the Doctor refuses to give them the terranium unless they first escort them back to the TARDIS. As they cannot risk destroying it by shooting them, the Daleks agree to the ultimatum and make their way back to the TARDIS, with Sarah calling Chen a traitor and renouncing her loyalty to him. Outside the TARDIS, the Doctor says he will hand over the terranium after he and Sarah go inside. Once they are inside, he instructs Stephen to hand it over and then make his way inside. Chen rejoices at having recovered the terranium, and the Daleks shoot at Stephen, but to no effect due to the force field around him. The TARDIS then dematerializes, leaving the Alliance to bask in their false victory. On the TARDIS, Stephen has fully come to again, and as the force field and its debilitating effects were cancelled due to the Dalek weaponry. The Doctor admonishes him for his recklessness, but Stephen refuses to apologise for what he did as it helped them escape. The Doctor says that while he is a member of the TARDIS crew, he will obey the Doctor's uh, instructions or he can leave, at which point Stephen promises not to be so reckless again. Sarah points out that the console has stopped moving, and the Doctor goes to see where they have landed, but the exterior view screen is on the fritz again. Stephen and Sarah suggest that they go outside for a look to see if they can repair the scanner, but the Doctor stops them, drawing their attention to the environmental sensors, which indicate that the outside atmosphere is highly poisonous. Episode 7, Feast of Stephen The TARDIS has actually landed in 1960s England outside a police station. The constables on duty are dumbfounded when they discover the old-fashioned police box outside, thinking that someone may have left it there as a Christmas present. Inside the ship, the doctor says he is the only one that can risk going outside to take a look around and repair the scanner as he is at less risk of the poisonous atmosphere. He tells the others, despite their protest, that they are only to come out if he runs into trouble. The doctor goes to take a look outside and is immediately greeted by a confused-looking constable. He offers a greeting and then hurries back inside, leaving the constable to try and explain what he just saw to his sceptical colleagues. Inside, the doctor explains to the others the truth of their location, taking the time to explain to Sarah that the police title on the outside of the TARDIS does not mean that he too is from Earth. After brushing off Stephen's teasing about the incorrect environmental readings, the doctor tells them that he will distract the constables whilst they go outside and repair the external view screen. He then goes outside and allows himself to be taken into custody. After the doctor is taken away, Stephen comes out of the TARDIS to take a look around. He immediately hides behind a nearby police car as the constable comes back from his rounds. After the constable goes away again, Stephen notices the uniform in the back of the car and proceeds to put it on. He then goes inside and is immediately addressed by the desk sergeant, who is currently dealing with a man complaining about a vanishing greenhouse. He assumes that Stephen is a new recruit sent out from G Division and Stephen plays along saying that he was sent down to help in dealing with the old man who was just taken into custody. In the interrogation room, the doctor is completely honest with the questions being asked of him, causing the detectives to assume he's a nutcase. The lead detective tells one of the constables to go outside and make sure that there was no one else inside the box. Outside, Sarah has given in to her frustration and boredom and goes out to look for the others. She encounters the constable that arrested the doctor, who did not see her exit the ship, and he assumes her to be on her way to a fancy dress party due to her uniform. She is also completely honest with him about wanting to fix the external view screen, but he thinks that she is playing a Christmas joke, so he tells her to move along as he does not want to arrest her for loitering. She complies and moves off, but once his attention has turned, she goes back to hiding near the TARDIS, frustrated that the others were potentially captured. Inside the station, Stephen encounters the doctor as he is being led out of the interrogation room, and he offers to take responsibility for him, claiming the doctor is a frequent visitor to G Division. Stephen, clearly relishing the authority he has over the doctor, ushers him outside where they see another constable attempting to apprehend Sarah. Stephen says that he knows her as well, saying that she is a friend of the Doctor's. Sarah uses this as an opportunity to break free and all three of the travelers hurry inside the TARDIS, taking off as soon as they are in. Inside the TARDIS, Sarah informs the others that she managed to fix the external view screen, and the Doctor says that they can refocus their attention on the Daleks. They decide that the only real way to scupper the Daleks' plans to dis- is to destroy the Terranium. Before they can discuss the matter any further, Sarah points out that they have landed again and they all look at the view screen to see where they are. It appears that they are in some sort of lumber mill, but they all dash outside when they see a man pulling a young woman towards a large circular saw. Stephen reaches them first and and attacks the man, demanding that he stop. It is then revealed that they have actually landed on a 1920s film set and have disturbed the shot of the movie. The director tells the camera crew to apprehend them, but Sarah and Stephen fight them off before all three of them run from the set, with the director following them as he is impressed by their fighting skills. The doctor and Stephen get separated from Sarah and begin to search for her, briefly bumping into Charlie Chaplin as they make their way through the various sets. They are then met by a production assistant who takes a protesting Stephen away to shoot a film scene. He tries to get away but he is forced into performing a car stunt which he ruins but allows him to get away. The Doctor meanwhile barges onto another movie set shooting an Arabian period drama and asks if the other director has seen them. As they argue about the intrusion they fail to notice Sarah hiding one of the props. The Doctor arrives on the set and is mistaken for a film consultant specialising in Arab culture a part which he plays up to. Sarah hears his voice and comes out of hiding and they leave the set and rejoin with Stephen. They make their way back to the TARDIS and inadvertently ruin a retake of the shot they ruined earlier. Another chase ensues as Stephen and Sarah are chased from set to set whilst the doctor lends a consoling ear to a young Bing Crosby who is currently questioning his career. The trio reunite again and manage to get back into the TARDIS and take off. The film crew stare astounded at the piece of movie magic before them, but your attention is then drawn to the real Arabian culture expert, who is a dead ringer for the Doctor. On the ship, Sarah and Stephen are revealed to have gotten away from the craziness, and the Doctor brings them a tray of drinks. He makes a Christmas toast, and in a moment of Fort Wall breaking, wishes the audience a Merry Christmas as well. Episode 8. Volcano. The Time Destructor with the fake uranium Core is being prepared for testing. Meanwhile, Chen is still trying to divert suspicion from himself by saying that even though two of the fugitives were from Earth, they were led by an alien disguised as a human with a mastery over space and time. He turns suspicion back onto the other delegates by saying such technology is beyond that of Earth. They put aside their differences for the time being and prepare to watch the test. The Daleks are ready for the test and prepare their selected subject, Representative Trantus. He will serve as a message that they are still in command of the Alliance. The test fails as the Time Destructor does not have any effect on Trantus and the fake teranium is discovered after Chen is accused of misrepresenting the capabilities of the real thing. The other delegates are dismissed and Chen is ordered to stay with the Daleks until one of their time machines is sent to them. As a display of their low tolerance for failure, they exterminate Trantus in front of a horrified Chen. On the TARDIS, the Doctor announces that they are being followed but they cannot confirm by who. Steven makes the educated guess that it is the Daleks but the Doctor is not so sure as he can't believe that they would have uncovered the Terranium ruse so soon. Sarah insists that they return to Kemble so they can ruin the Daleks' plans once and for all. The pursuing craft is drawing closer, and so the Doctor decides to land. They land in the middle of an Ashes cricket match, causing a disruption to the play before taking off again. The plan to evade their pursuer has not worked, though, and it continues to gain on them. The Dalek time machine arrives on Kemble, and a task force is assembled to pursue the TARDIS, with Chen being sent with them under pain of death should he fail to reclaim the Terranium. The TARDIS has landed in the middle of a volcanic planet and so too has their pursuer. The pursuer emerges from a large boulder revealing himself to be the monk after having successfully repaired his own TARDIS after he's running with the Doctor in 1066. He observes from afar as the Doctor and others come to take a look around. The Doctor informs his companions that they have actually landed on a newly formed planet which is in the process of slowly cooling down. He also begins to theorise about their pursuer seeming certain as to who it could be despite the improbability of it all. As they are exploring the surrounding area, the monk approaches the TARDIS and interferes with the lock before leaving again. The doctor begins to call out for the monk so they can meet and talk, and Sarah spots him preparing to launch a rock slide on them. The two time travellers begin to converse, and with the doctor congratulating his counterpart on successfully repairing his TARDIS and escaping his exile. The monk thanks him and informs the travellers that he has repaid the favour by marooning them on the newly created planet of Tigus. They go back to discover that the monk has actually tampered with the lock of the TARDIS, trapping them outside on the volcanic surface. Stephen attempts to jimmy the lock open, but the doctor says it is no use. He tells Stephen and Sarah to stand back and shield their eyes, as he uses his ring to reflect light from the sun towards the lock. The doctor then tells Sarah to try the door again, and it swings open with ease. The trio rush inside and take off, leaving a furious monk to swear vengeance on them. Inside the TARDIS, the doctor explains that the radiation from the sun, combined with the energy produced by his ring, were enough to reverse the process caused by the monk's device. He then tells Stephen to keep an eye on the time path indicator and a form of anyone following them as he piles the TARDIS through the vortex. The next line in London in 1966. The Doctor mistakes the New Year's celebrations for victory celebrations, as the only time he can remember Londoners acting like this was after the relief of Mafeking during the Second Boer War. On Kemble, the Dalek time machine has locked onto the TARDIS's location and sets off in pursuit, with the crew chanting of their impending victory. Episode 9. Golden Debt Chen is tasked by the Dalek Supreme with personally recovering the Terranium. One of the navigators informs the crew that the TARDIS has landed near an unfinished pyramid in Egypt but does not seem to be making any moves to take off again and evade its pursuers Chen comments on the strangeness of this tactic as the smarter move would be to try and avoid the Daleks at all costs Outside the pyramid, the doctor is attempting to repair the lock on the TARDIS door Stephen comes out and informs him that another time machine is approaching their location which they assume to be the monk Stephen attempts to help with the repairs, but doesn't know the names of the tools the doctor is looking for. He decides to put himself to better use by climbing up to a higher vantage point to keep an eye out for the monk's tardis. Stephen sees the Dalek time machine land, mistaking for the monk's ship, and both he and Sarah arrive to tell the doctor of its arrival. Stephen suggests that they should capitalise on their advantage by going to meet the monk, but the doctor is reluctant to go with them, as the tardis lock is still not fixed. He promises to catch up to them, but tells them to be careful. Unbeknownst to them all, they are being observed by an Egyptian worker, who rushes off to tell the construction foreman. The foreman tells the guards to arm themselves and they set off for the TARDIS. Near the Dalek's ship, Stephen comments on how the monk's chameleon circuit seems to have malfunctioned as it has not bled into its surroundings. As they are speaking, Chen and a squad of Daleks emerge and they decide to go tell the doctor. Before they can go back though, they are captured by the Egyptians, who also try to take the Daleks into custody. The Daleks open fire, killing several of the Egyptians and pursue the rest of them in order to finish them off. A group of them manage to escape and they decide to regroup. Meanwhile, the Dalek commander orders all the locals to be treated as hostile and be exterminated on sight. Back at the TARDIS, the doctor has finished fixing the lock and he sets off after his companions. He takes time to explore the construction around him, noticing that it is a pharaoh's tomb. As he is making his way around, the monk's TARDIS lands, taking in the appearance of stone blocks similar to the ones being used in the construction of the pyramid. He takes cover to avoid being seen and observes the monk emerge from his TARDIS wearing sunglasses to avoid the harsh glare of the sun. The Doctor then realises that it must have been the Daleks that had landed before. Stephen and Sarah are being held captive and accused of being in league with the Daleks. The guard captain says he will go to the next encampment for reinforcements, whilst the foreman sends his slaves to secure the Pharaoh's treasures that they are to be entombed with him. After they are left alone, Sarah begins to cut at her bonds and she manages to cut herself free and then release Stephen. They then sneak up on the guards and manage to knock them out, with Sarah doing the majority of the work. They then set out to find the Doctor. The Doctor is following the monk, but pauses as he notices him stop at the sound of approaching figures. With nowhere to hide, the monk decides to bluff his way out of the situation, but is shocked to see Chen and a group of Daleks appear. Chen decides to question the monk, and they all decide that they have a common goal in settling a score with the Doctor. Chen then decides to use the monk to recover the terranium from the Doctor, issuing the same threat as he was earlier given should he fail. All of this is observed by the Doctor, who follows the monk back to his own TARDIS. He watches the monk retrieve an energy counter from the ship and he then sets off using it in an attempt to find the doctor's TARDIS. The doctor is about to follow him but then suddenly struck by an idea. He enters the monk's unlocked TARDIS and begins to play around with the ship's chameleon circuit. He puts it through a myriad of other shapes and vehicles before changing it into an old fashioned police box, much like his own. He then emerges carrying some ripped out circuitry with him before setting off to find the others. The monk follows the readings from the energy counter which lead him back to the entrance of the pyramid. The Doctor is shocked to see that the TARDIS is not where he left it and follows on after the Monk, knowing he will lead him to it. The Monk finds the ship inside the treasure room and tries to get into it only to discover the lock repaired. The Doctor makes his appearance known and thanks the Monk for helping him in finding his ship. The two time travellers then get into a game of one-upmanship with both of them touting the merits of their functioning and non-functioning chameleon circuits. The Monk loads over the fact that the Doctor was not able to track him this time and offers to show him how it was done once they go inside the TARDIS. The Doctor then points out that it is merely a ruse for the Monk to gain access to the Terranium, but the Monk tries to deny being serious in his offer to help the Daleks. He offers to take the terrarium to the Daleks and let the Doctor escape, but the Doctor decides to put an end to the Monk's meddling. Stephen and Sarah arrive back at the entrance, only to find the TARDIS missing. Stephen says it is most likely inside the pyramid, and they go inside to look for it and the Doctor. They call out for him, but he does not respond. As they are calling for him, Sarah calls Stephen's attention to a nearby sarcophagus that begins to open, with a mummified hand emerging from it. Episode 10 Escape Switch The mummy comes out of the sarcophagus fully and starts to speak, but its voice is muffled by the bandages. Stephen decides to unravel the bandages on its head so he can speak clearly and is revealed to be the monk beneath the wrappings. He says that it was the Doctor who did it to him, when all he was trying to do was warn him about the Daleks. Stephen asks him where the Doctor went off to and Sarah suggests that maybe he went looking for them. The two companions discuss where to stay put and wait for him, or to go out and try and find him, but risk missing him in the process. Sarah says that if he runs into the Daleks then he'll need their help, and so he decide to leave. The monk asks to be inside the Tardis, claiming to have a bad headache caused by the doctor, but Stephen says only the doctor has the key, and so the monk reluctantly joins them. On board the Dalek ship, Chen is trying to convince the Daleks that the monk has not failed in his task to reclaim the teradium, but that he simply needs more time to complete it. The Daleks refuse to be flexible in their plans, and the commander orders the others to disembark in order to find the fugitives, stating that all other forms of life are to be treated as hostile and are to be killed on sight. He also orders Chen, who is desperately trying to save face, to accompany them. As they begin their search, they hear Stephen calling for the doctor. A couple of Daleks capture the monk after he tries to slip away and is brought back to the others, who are now also in Dalek custody. The monk tries to stave off their impending execution by saying that he has brought hostages that would help them secure the terranium. Chen sees the merits of this and convinces the Daleks to stand down and thereby force the Doctor to give them what they want. All three of them are then taken back to the time ship. Back on the Dalek ship, the monk tries to convince Stephen and Sarah that their capture is all part of his plans to save their lives and stop the Daleks. They are sceptical of his claims but any further discussion is halted when Chen arrives to issue an ultimatum to the Doctor via an external PA system. Chen demands that the Doctor return to Terranium or the others will be killed. The Doctor overhears this and sets off in the direction he was instructed to go unbeknownst to all involved, the remaining Egyptians also overhear this, and thinking it is their god speaking. However, the foreman says that it is the people that created the war machines that took the lives of so many of their men. He says that they would have their revenge once the guard captain returns with more troops. The doctor arrives outside the Dalek time machine, and is greeted by Chen and a squad of Daleks. He demands to be shown his friends before he does anything else. He agrees to give the terranium to the Daleks, but only if his friends and the monks are released first. The Daleks agree to send Chen, one Dalek, and the prisoners to a rendezvous point he selects. After the Doctor leaves, Chen admits that he is surprised the Daleks gave to his demands but they retort that it would only take one Dalek to ensure their success. All parties arrive at the rendezvous point but extra Daleks have been sent as well. The Doctor demands that the prisoners be released as well or he will destroy the Terranium due to the breach of his conditions. The prisoners are let go and told to run whilst the Doctor hands Chen the Terranium before also running off. Before Chen and the Daleks can confirm that they have succeeded in their goals they are attacked by the newly arrived Egyptian soldiers. However, the assault fails as they are all slaughtered by the Daleks. The Doctor and his companions arrive back at the TARDIS, where the Doctor reveals that he had no other choice but to hand over the real Terranium. However, he says that there is still hope as he pulls out a piece of equipment he took from the monk's TARDIS, revealing it to be the ship's directional unit. Sarah says that he can use it to return to Campbell as it will repair the Doctor's own TARDIS's inability to return to the same location it has just visited when Stephen urges them to make haste, the Doctor informs him that he has bought them some time from the Daleks as he reveals he changed the Monk's TARDIS to look like a police box as well. His plan succeeds as the Daleks pursued the Monk to his ship, only to watch him escape. They are about to set off in pursuit until Chen reveals that he has the Terranium. With the operation now a success, they decide to head back to Kemble to carry out their plans. On the TARDIS, Stephen wonders if the Monk will come after them, but the Doctor says it will be difficult as he is no longer has a directional unit. Sierra asks will the replacement work and the Doctor says it is a 50-50 chance due to the fact that the Monk's TARDIS is an upgraded version of the Doctor's and the result could be catastrophic. The Monk meanwhile has landed on a frozen world and realises that the Doctor has stolen his directional unit. Destined to wander randomly through time and space, he swears vengeance on the Doctor. Back on the TARDIS, the Doctor says that the repairs have been completed but he is reluctant to test out the new unit whilst in flight. Steven points out that they need to test it at some point and the Doctor agrees telling Stephen to activate the main navigational switch. He does so, causing the main console to emit a a small cloudy explosion and throw them all to the ground. Episode 11, The Abandoned Planet The Dalek time machine arrives back on Kimball, and Chen disembarks, proclaiming that he has successfully recovered the Terranium. He is then instructed to return to the meeting chamber for a meeting with the remaining members of the Alliance. After he leaves, the Dalek Supreme informs his underlings that this will be the last meeting of the Alliance, as the others have served their purpose, but Chen can still be of use to them. On the TARDIS, the Doctor reveals that the main console is fine, but the energy surge in the directional unit caused a feedback loop that forced it to burn itself out, thereby scuppering their plans to return to Kemble. The Doctor and Stephen decide that the best course of action is to see if they can steal the monks' TARDIS, as maybe it might be able to get them to Kemble. It does mean, however, that they will have to deal with any remaining Egyptian soldiers, and so they decide to take a look via the external view screen. It turns out, however, that they have successfully landed back on Kemble, and the directional unit burned itself out after completing the trip. Sarah is a bit annoyed when the Doctor says that there was no need for her to have worried earlier and she tries to turn it back on him, but Stephen advises her that she is just wasting her breath as they watch the Doctor lead the way outside to assess their surroundings. In the Council Chambers, the other delegates agree that Chen should be removed from the Council due to the delay of the invasion caused by the theft and slow retrieval of the Terranium. The Dalek Supreme enters and orders them to be quiet so he can commence the final meeting. Chen is summoned to speak and he reveals that he has been made the Head of the Council by the Daleks. This announcement, coupled with Chen's egotistical grandstanding, causes uproar amongst the delegates as they do not view him to be an equal partner due to his late addition to the council. They approach him to take him into custody, but he kills one of them and holds the rest at gunpoint, reconfirming his power of office over them. It is then pointed out to him that the Dalek Supreme is not in attendance. Chen notices that the entranceway to the council chamber has been sealed off. In order to save face... He continues on as if it is all part of a plan, but suddenly a squad of Daleks arrives to break up the meeting and herd all the delegates, including Chen away. The Dalek Supreme gives orders that they are to be locked in the base, which will soon be destroyed once the invasion starts. In the jungle, Stephen and Sarah have become separated from the Doctor and make their way back to the TARDIS to find him. Sarah says that they can't waste any time searching for him as they need to stop the Daleks. Stephen is reluctant to leave the Doctor in the hostile environment by himself but Sarah says that knowing him, the Doctor is most likely already at the Dalek base. They arrive at the base and Stephen urges caution given that it is the staging ground for an invasion force. Sarah frustratingly tells him that they will be careful and they make their way into the base. It is eerily quiet as they make their way further into the base, but encounter no guards or anything. Stephen suggests that the Doctor has been kidnapped by the Daleks and that is why there are no guards on duty. Sarah says it could be a trick to lure them out, but Stephen tells her that regardless of the scenario, they need to find the Doctor. They make their way into the control room and find it completely empty. They notice the Dalek time machine in the room and decide to demand the release of the Doctor so they can use it to get off Kemble and warn about the invasion. They use the loudspeaker system to communicate with the Daleks, but they are instead answered by Chen and the delegates. They inform them of the Daleks double-cross, and Steven and Sarah think that the Doctor is with them and so set off to release the delegates. Chen informs the delegates as to the identities of the duo and falsely states that Sarah has come to rescue him as she is still loyal to him. He then tries to convince the other delegates to join forces with him so they can defeat the Daleks and assume total control for themselves. Before they discuss it any further, Stephen and Sarah arrive and Chen informs them that the Doctor is not with them, but demands to be released. Stephen is reluctant to do so as he fears Chen will go back to the Daleks, but Sarah says that the, the other delegates could muster a force to stop the Daleks. The delegates agree to this and so Stephen allows them to be released. Out at the landing port, Steven and Sarah are observing the delegates depart for their home galaxies and are shocked to see Chen's ship explode as it takes off. Suddenly, they hear a movement nearby and see a Dalek making its way through the jungle. They follow after it and it leads them to the entrance to an underground tunnel. They realise that the Dalek forces could be hiding underground until the invasion begins and they also speculate that this is where the Doctor could be if he was indeed captured. Suddenly, Chen appears behind them holding a gun and orders them to head into the tunnel. Episode 12. Thank fuck. (laughs) Episode 12. Destruction of Time Chen leads his prisoners down through the tunnel and demands to know where the Doctor is. He has become convinced that the Doctor intends to usurp his place beside the Daleks and take his position as the guardian of the Sol system. Steven and Sarah try to convince him that the Doctor would never side with the Daleks but he ignores them and instead he intends to show the Daleks that he is still loyal to them and forces his prisoners onwards. Inside the underground base, the Dalek Supreme is informed of this unexpected arrival as he issues the Dalek forces their battle orders. He then orders Chen and the others to be brought to him. Chen, however, refuses to hand over his prisoners to the Daleks sent to escort them and demands to be the one to bring them in. Sarah again tries to convince him that the Doctor is not collaborating with the Daleks, but he again refutes her claims and commends her on sticking to her lie. The Dalek escorts are instructed to let Chen bring them in, which assuages his ego, but the escorts still follow from a distance. They arrive at the command centre and Chen again begins to grandstand but he is abruptly informed by the Dalek Supreme that his association with them has ended. Chen is incredulous at this and orders the Dalek Supreme to place all Daleks under his control. When he does not receive an answer, he believes that his demands have been met and begins to order Daleks around but they do not respond. Chen accuses the Dalek Supreme of treachery and shoots at him with his weapon but it is ineffective. The Dalek Supreme orders his underlings to take Chen away from the control room so they can execute him safely and not damage any of the equipment. As Chen flees, the Daleks and the Dalek Supreme follow after him. Suddenly, the Doctor appears beside Stephen and Sarah, and he gives Stephen a key to the TARDIS and tells him to take Sarah back to the ship when he gives them the signal, as he intends to start the Time Destructor. The Daleks return from successfully killing Chen and see that their ultimate weapon is now activated and under control of the Doctor, who says he will activate its full power unless they follow his instructions. They use one of the Daleks as a shield and make their way towards the exit. The Doctor orders them to go to the TARDIS and despite their protests, they do so. After they leave, Sarah tries to convince Stephen to stay so that they can help the Doctor, but he says they need to trust the Doctor will be okay. However, Sarah sneaks away from Stephen as they are making their way through the underground base and doubles back to help the Doctor, who has forced his Dalek shield back into the control room and smashed the door circuit. The Doctor is annoyed that she has returned and explains to her that the Time Destructor is now operational, but is on its lowest setting and so they need to hurry back to the TARDIS. As they are making their way through the jungle, they begin to feel the debilitating effects of the Time Destructor, with Sarah starting to age as their surrounding jungle begins to be affected by the machine as well, causing the plant life to erode away to a desert. Sarah tells the Doctor to destroy the Time Destructor, but he says that he cannot, as the effects could be disastrous, and the only way to stop it is to wait for the terrarium to deplete. In the meantime, the Daleks have successfully managed to get out of the control room and have taken off in pursuit of the fugitives. On the TARDIS, Stephen paces around in frustration as he watches the external view screen for any sign of the Doctor and Sarah. The Doctor also begins to feel the effects of the Time Destructor and he too begins to age. He drops the Time Destructor just as they reach the TARDIS and erodes away from him. Stephen observes all this through the external view screen and rushes out to help his friends. He is momentarily stunned by his new surroundings a barren windswept desert where once there was jungle and goes to try and stop the machine only to find for himself that it cannot be turned off. He sees Sarah's body, half submerged in a mound of dust and goes to revive her only to discover to his horror that she's aged away to a skeleton which begins to crumble in his hands. He turns back to the doctor to see if he too has succumbed to the same fate and notices that he is also feeling the effects of the time destructor. The doctor is in a state of confused anger and orders Stephen to get back into the TARDIS following on after him. Once inside, he begins to recover from the effects of the Time Destructor, and he notices that Sarah is not with him. Stephen sadly shakes his head to signify her death, and the two travellers mournfully reflect on the fact that she went back to save the Doctor. They then notice the appearance of the Daleks outside the ship, and watch as they futilely attempt to destroy the Time Destructor, as they too begin to succumb to the effects of the machine. The Doctor and Stephen emerge from the TARDIS, once the Time Destructor burns itself out. They go outside to assess the devastation and the Doctor remarks that Sarah died before she was able to see her goal of destroying the Daleks completed. He points out to Stephen the fossilised embryonic remains of one of the Daleks and expresses a brief moment of joy over this fact, but Stephen reminds him of the loss of Katerina, Brett and Sarah in order to achieve that victory. The Doctor comments that it was a terrible waste before he and Stephen solemnly return to the TARDIS and leave Kemble behind. End of the story.
0: Round of applause for Paddington. For the oh longest recap we have ever done. God, <laughs> I say we.
1: I sat on my ass yeah. and did nothing. <laughs> and now to drink copious amounts of uh, Ribena. <laughs> now I'm going to shut up for a while, and we're going to go over to Trisha for some trivia notes and give my voice a rest. So over to you, Trish. <laughs> <laughs>
0: thanks yeah you, you take a breather have a drink calm down so the air date for these second set of eight episodes is the 11th of december 1965 to the 29th of january 1966 with episode seven actually going out on christmas day the writer for this is actually a little bit different so terry nation did episodes five and seven whereas dennis spooner Did episodes six and then eight through 12. The interesting thing when you're watching this is that it says, like, on the show, like, writer Dennis Spooner, and then on the next slide, essentially, of the credits, it says, From an Idea by Terry Nation, but Terry didn't write all of it. There's been differing stories about how much of this entire story, like, last week and this week, Terry actually wrote. With some people saying that he only contributed 20 pages total. And other people saying he contributed 30 pages per episode that has his name on it. So it's a bit of a mixed bag here in the second half of the story. Whereas obviously last week it was all Terry.
1: Well, all I can say is if Terry is responsible for episode 7, he and I have problems.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um. This is Dennis, Dennis Spooner's last doctor who writing job that he is credited for he does have one uncredited writing job and he's previously written the reign of terror the romans and the time meddler which may explain where someone came from yep douglas canfield has continued on as director from the previous episode so he's done all 12 of these episodes of these a remaining eight episodes only episodes five and ten still exist in their entirety so, out of the twelve episodes, we have three episodes that exist in their entirety. We have a couple of clips from here and there, and the rest of what we watched was all thanks to Loose Cannon. So, thank you again to Loose Cannon.
1: And I know that we mentioned it there, but like the work they did on episode seven, it's like it's absolutely hilarious. <laughs> Just yeah, like I, I do
0: wonder how much of that was them and how much of that like, was that actually the way it was broadcast with the old timey.
1: Music. Well, I, like, I see. That's the thing. I have no idea. But one, but like the, the scene where like Stephen is being chased by the, um, the film security guards. It's like this weird stop motion, cutout. Yeah, it, Car characters running.
0: Fucking strange, man. As I mentioned last week, the Daleks' master plan was never screened in Australia. It was deemed to be unsuitable for minors. And if Katarina getting sucked through an airlock last week didn't do it for you, then. The fucking death of Sarah Kingdom in this story definitely fucking would because that was freaky as fuck.
1: Oh yeah, it's like the um, Donovan's death from uh, the Last Crusade on like a hundred.
0: Yeah, it was it was supremely fucked up. Okay, <laughs> we need to talk about the elephant in the room. <laughs> episode seven. So episode seven, as I said, aired on Christmas Day, and. It was decided that on Christmas Day, the last thing people wanted to watch was the continuation of this incredibly dark Doctor Who story. So instead, they wrote an episode, completely filler, that did not connect to the previous episode or the next episode, just to have something fun to watch on Christmas Day. Clearly, no one at doc- at the BBC, and in fairness, I... I kind of get it. No one at the BBC was thinking about the fact that people are going to be watching this 50 years later going what the fuck is that? <laughs> Which was what I sent to Paddy last night when I was watching this. The original intention for the police station sequence was actually to do a crossover with Zed Cars. That's what that was intended to be. Zed Cars is a police program and they had intended that first half of the Christmas episode to be a crossover with Zed Cars. Unfortunately, the Zed Cars production team vetoed b- the idea, and said no, because this Christmas episode adds no value whatsoever and makes no sense to watch on any day other than Christmas Day. With the direct- with the Doctor's like fourth wall break of telling everyone Merry Christmas, the story was offered overseas as an eleven part story. They just dropped episode seven entirely. <laughs> because of this the feast of Stephen, so episode seven became the first episode of doctor who ever to be junked so they aired it and then they junked it because they were never planning on rerunning it on christmas they weren't planning on selling it to anybody else so it was the first episode that was actually junked by the bbc archives good riddance <laughs> <laughs> Um, the idea of the planet of invisible monsters and a scene in ancient Egypt, those were actually Terry's ideas from the chase. So obviously for the chase, they had a lot of ideas of where the TARDIS could go and those two were on the list. The 10th episode of the story actually marks a landmark for Doctor Who as it was its 100th episode.
1: It reached syndication.
0: Yay! (laughs) 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 Um... Unfortunately, not all was good on this production. The already troublesome relationship between Hartnell and new producer John Wildes just kept getting worse and worse. It wasn't helped, obviously, by Hartnell's health. And Wildes used to get really pissed at the fact that William Hartnell would, you know, flub his lines or ad-lib a little bit to get around a bit he doesn't remember and you know things like that and it got to the point where there was a crew strike at one point because of a dispute between Hartnell and his dresser and even the newspapers were reporting on it saying that Hartnell would be quitting the series now that was an overstatement that wasn't actually what was happening but it got quite bad I mean like even the press was getting involved with the goings-on of Doctor Who at this point in time
1: yeah and like this is at like a time when like who is like is on its way to becoming like um a landmark BBC or British television icon uh like obviously you had like you know the Christmas annuals and like I think William Hartle would make public appearances as the doctor yeah. you know for like turning on lights and all this type of stuff so obviously this is the type of stuff that would get reported in the newspaper
0: yeah and like one of the things that sort of came up with this is obviously William's deteriorating health, which you know we've said before is one of the reasons why he sometimes flips his lines and things. Um, but actually, the name of the element or the core that they use for the time disruptor yeah. was originally meant to be something a bit more complicated, but they were afraid that William wouldn't be able to say it. So they had to try and think of something that he could easily remember and say. So they were already trying to write around that problem. Peter Purvis wasn't massively impressed by this story. Uh, describing the big 12 parter was Tosh.
1: I love that word. It's a, it, it's such a... Oh, it's so old-fashioned, but it's so just wonderful.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, it's not a word you hear very often. No.
1: I think the only other person I ever heard say it was Joe Dolan. That's about it.
0: (laughs) Okay, moving on to our cast. So we have a lot of returning people this time around. We have Kevin Stoney continues as Mavic Chen. Mm -hmm. Peter Butterworth returns as the monk. I am going to give a slight spoiler here. This is his last appearance in Doctor Who. (laughs) The, The monk is not coming back.
1: However... He was so popular that he has appeared in big Finnish uh, productions. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, last on-screen appearance, mm. I should say. Although, apparently, the one of the animated stories, I think it's Fury from the Deep. Mm. There's a wanted poster with the monk's face on it.
1: <laughs> uh, actually, one of our uh, regular listeners, uh, Shane, uh, had commented recently about the monk. He liked the idea of a recurring villain from the Doctor's own race. Uh, as you thought it like kind of opened up to kind of um, all the different possibilities of you know like minded stuff
0: yeah I, I think I think the monk was a really good character we'll get more into character discussion about him later mm. um, and i kind of disappointed that we're not going to see him again because he was kind of cool
1: and like uh, Peter Butterworth is just he no matter how good someone else would do it in Big Finish and to be fair like some people like on Big Finish are amazing at doing the recreation of roles again it it's just iconic because Peter Butterworth is just a very funny actor. He's yeah. He's got this amazing slapstick approach to things. And like a character like the monk, which we'll talk to later on, I think it's a perfect marriage of actor and character.
0: Yeah, definitely. So lastly, we have, again, new companion, question mark?
1: <laughs>
0: I don't know. Uh, Sarah Kingdom, who's played by Gene Marsh. Now, Sarah is the second of three on-screen Doctor Who roles for Jean. We previously saw her as Joanna in the Crusades. And I mentioned last week that actually the actress who played Katarina was also up for the role as Joanna. And we'll see her again in Battlefield, way, way down the line.
1: Is this like the curse of the Crusades that both actresses that tried out for the part uh, are now killed in the same story?
0: (laughs) Uh, Not really. So, um... I mentioned last week that there was no plans to make Katarina a main companion. Mm. She was a temporary measure. They felt that would be too much hassle to keep her on, be too much of a pain. They had, however, hoped to make Sarah a main companion. That had been the intention, but Jean Marsh didn't want to commit to a series. And I'll explain more in a little bit as to why that may have been. Originally, in the script, Sarah was meant to be Brett's lover... But this was later changed to make them siblings. Personally, I think lover would have made more sense. Yeah. You're more likely to turn on your lover on a dime and shoot them in the face than you would your sibling.
1: Yeah, like, because what, what we see here is that, uh, I suppose we'll get into the character discussion, is that Sarah is loyal to Earth. And while yep. Chen thinks he's loyal to him, while she think while Chen thinks she is loyal to him, it's the position, not the man.
0: Yeah. So, like, for her to turn on Brett because of a betrayal to Earth,
1: hmm.
0: I think would have been more believable
1: as lovers as, as
0: lovers th- than as siblings.
1: And if I'm correct, her appearance in Battlefield is also are pairing up again with Nick Courtney. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But that's future. Yeah. Many, many, many years down the line.
1: (laughs) Where this trivia will be forgotten until it doesn't remember.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'll have to go back to find all my old notes. So outside of Doctor Who, Jean was just, is just an amazing actress. She was also in The Twilight Zone, The Moon and Sixpence, The Wonderful World of Disney, I Spy, The Saint, the TV version of 9 to 5, Hawaii Five O, The Waltons. Also, I knew, like, I've seen pictures of Sarah Kingdom for ages. And she always freaked the shit out of me. Hmm. And I couldn't remember why. Until I looked up Jude Marsh's IMDb. She was in that freak show of a movie, Return to Oz.
1: Uh yeah, well, we actually recently watched uh, for Halloween the Craft with Firuza Balk who plays Dorothy in Return to Oz. And mm. It's like we we're just saying like that movie fucked up that child. <laughs> yeah, no,
0: she was um the nurse slash whatever the evil queen was called mm. in Return to Oz, which explains why every time I see her face, I sort of have this <laughs> kind of reaction. And she was also in Willow. Wait, on top of all of that she, on, is, she,
1: is she the sorceress in willow uh
0: let's double check i haven't seen willow so i didn't pay as much attention as i did to her in uh the scary movie that never should have existed in the first place
1: Will, willow is amazing warwick davis signed that picture of willow for me where he called me uh penny which kind of <laughs> started the weird tradition of um Actors like him and, Ken, uh, and Kenny Baker referring to me as a girl's name.
0: <laughs> uh, Jean Marsh was the actress who played the evil queen, Bav Morda.
1: Yeah. yeah. Uh, Willow's a great movie. I think you'd like it.
0: She plays evil very well. She does. So on top of all of that, all right, <laughs> which you can maybe understand why she didn't want to commit to a TV series long term at this point. She was in massively high demand. She also created the television series Upstairs Downstairs. Oh. And portrayed the maid Rosebuck in that series. She was appointed Officer of the Order of the British Empire, OBE, in the twenty twelve birthday honours for services to drama. Massively well deserved, if I may say
1: so. And as well like the character that she created and or helped bring to life in this story is like so popular that Big Finish have like spin-offs, spin-off prequel stories with her in it.
0: Yeah, like we'll, get, we'll get more to the character when we get to the character discussion. Mm. But I will say, I was always very curious about Sarah Kingdom as a character. Because I'm, we've already established, a huge Sarah Jane fan. Yeah. Who's our other Sarah. And <laughs> every time you look up Sarah Jane fanfiction, Sarah Kingdom always appears in the list first. And <laughs> I was always like, who the fuck is that?
1: <laughs> who is this pretender to the throne?
0: <laughs> Pretty much. That was me, like, up until two weeks ago
1: one thing as well it just kind of the the whole origin of her and Brett were meant to be lovers thing makes a lot more sense seeing as how they have this different last names
0: yeah I uh, that is a thing yeah one final final point and I don't have it included here on my notes which is weird because I remember writing it down prior to Doctor Who she was actually married to John Pertwee
1: I think you mentioned it when we did the crusade I think you did but so yes, I'm going to
0: mention it again yeah. because I remember writing it down for today. Yes, Google Docs has eaten it. Um, although in fairness, there's so many notes that for the last two weeks, maybe this got lost. Yeah. So from 1955 to 1960, she was married to John Pertwee, who would later be the Doctor.
1: Yes. Yeah. So for any of our um new uh, people to the show, uh, yes, John Pertwee will appear on the show soon. Well, that well, in in terms of the Ish. show, soonish, Yes. <laughs> Uh yes.
0: So, we come to the character discussion. Let's start with the Doctor, as we always do. Paddy, what were your thoughts on the Doctor in these eight episodes?
1: So, first thing... Uh, first or first thing foremost, I kind of paused there. I was kind of going, "What well, way to go with this?" Is that I think of all the missing stories from, well, specifically the Hartnell era. This is probably the one that, for a lot of Hartnell fans, not not just the first Doctor fans, but Hartnell fans, is probably most sought after, because this is a fantastic performance by William Hartnell. Agreed. He, he goes through so many amazing emotional moments between uh dealing with you know Katerina's death and then Sarah's death um just like at that very end it was like you know like oh what a, what a senseless waste type thing uh comedic moments you know obviously there's episode seven and even like even during the monks' time frame you know because like, obviously himself and Peter butterworth had such great chemistry as the monk and the doctor it's fantastic. And it, yeah. just the, the Doctor walking around ancient Egypt we're just wearing a sun hat. Just like a, a Panama sun hat is amazing. Um, but his usual like kind of power performances, like, you know, those really powerhouse speeches when dealing with, like, the villains, like, you know, the Daleks and with Chen. Um, it's just like, again, this is a really powerful performance by him. And the Doctor, I think he's like solid the whole way through and as well the fact that he turns on the time destructor gives an indication as to his alien nature because we can see how it affects Sarah in the sense that it starts to age her rapidly whereas with him it's a steadily age process that okay clearly there's something well in his lifespan that he doesn't age as visibly as she does
0: mm. yeah definitely I think I completely agree with you this is probably of all the missing episodes that we've seen this is the one that for Hartnell I would really want back. Now obviously it would be nice to see Katarina and Brett and Sarah Kingdom stories in their entirety anyway. Do you know? Um, While I wasn't a fan of Katarina last week it kind of sucks that you have a companion and you don't see her entire story the one story that she's in. Yeah. Um. And similarly for Brett and Sarah Kingdom, it would have been really good to see their entire stories. But for Hartnell, this is definitely his powerhouse. You know, we've spoken in the past about stories that showcase every aspect of the character. And this really showcases every aspect of the Doctor. It highlights so much of the Doctor that we know in New Who. Hmm. Like, to your point, you know, clearly he's not human. He is nowhere near affected as much by the time disruptor thingy. Even though he was the one holding it and she was a little bit behind him. Hmm. He's not as impacted by it. Like, bearing in mind, like, her death is fucking horrific. She becomes dust. And while he gets very, very, very old, he doesn't even, like get anywhere near the point that she got before she became dust so yeah. there's that also in the fucking in episode 7 when they <laughs> land on earth and he's talking about pollutants Yeah. first of all for all of you who say oh Doctor Who is too political now he wouldn't even let them leave the feckin ship because 1960s pollution was too much for their precious <laughs> future bodies to handle just saying but he's saying that it's fine for him you know, it's not the same for him as it is for them. So we can tell that, like, he's not that human. But also, it has everything else. Like, he takes Sarah prisoner by just you know looping her arm with his, the same way he <laughs> used to do with Barbara. And it's just this sort of like the weirdest fucking way of doing something that is so quintessentially the Doctor. You know.
1: Hmm. Also, uh, fighting off invisible monsters with stick with, with his walking stick.
0: Yeah, it's fucking like, I literally have my notes. I'm like, go on, doctor. Like, and he's completely fine. He's like, hmm, hmm, and just starts poking it with a stick. It's fucking brilliant.
1: It's like the Doctor Who video of like that Star Wars lightsaber kid, you know, in his yeah, just <laughs> exactly. it around.
0: Um, we have this mysterious ring comes back again. Seriously, mm-hmm. like, why have I not heard about the amazing powers of this ring the Doctor has? You know, we saw it in the web planet. We're seeing it again now. Um that was brilliant the one thing i there's two things actually i don't know where he was in episode 11 because i didn't see anything in my trivia notes that he was on holidays or anything he just wasn't in it really so i think
1: that's one thing that we're probably going to see as we move on um that due to his like debilitating like uh, health issues there was a lot more times where the doctor would be maybe missing for an episode or two episodes of a story. Okay. Uh, so no, again, it's not set in stone. That's just my own interpretation of stuff. But that's the best thing that I can think of for it. Um, I, I, I again, like it's just like this. is Hartnell, like at his best. I think, like you know, we've talked about you know his amazing performances in like the Aztecs and the Romans and just like those great speeches that he gives. But this is like we like we said in the trivia like that he was having issues with John Wiles and he was having issues like with on set and everything like that. It never comes across in the performance. Never. And like, there are times alright where you watch movies and like you watch T V shows and it's like they're like they're phoning it in. Like because obviously there's something up there that's like they don't care anymore. Whereas like with Hartnell again, it's just like whatever he was off screen for people, on screen he's the doctor. And he yeah, change. he
0: really he really was when it came to the actual acting side of it. He was the consummate professional. Maybe in dealing with his colleagues, not so much, but in the actual acting side, he was the consummate professional. And I really wish we did have more of the story because it, his performance is outstanding. Um, it was absolutely amazing. And so, I think one big kind of for the doctor
1: and one kind of final point for me on Hartle is that this is the first time that even though they've won, the Doctor has actually lost. And it's just that dejected, almost like, you know, Incredible Hulk walking away scene when himself and Steven go back to the TARDIS. It's yeah. just, like, was it worth it? Yeah, Obviously... and
0: one thing I'm interested to see, and you know more about this than I would, is, you know, he sort of says it that he will keep Brett and Katarina and Sarah with him. Hmm. Forever does he do they get mentioned again i really want to know and also yeah he mentions brett in relation to the other two which means he saw brett as a companion yeah people who don't
1: recognize brett as a companion um so as far as i'm aware on screen no but obviously i think um like some of these characters like they've had such an impact on writers and fans that became writers that like Katerina has like four or five short stories that mm. the, the second doctor encounters her and so on um, I think am I right in thinking that no we'll find out as we go on but I think during someone's regeneration maybe some characters some doctor's regeneration I think he calls out the names of lost companions I think he mentions Katerina is that Tom
0: is that Tom going to Peter
1: no I don't think so but doesn't uh,
0: he see people's faces?
1: No, that's that's Peter going to Colin.
0: Oh okay. But that
1: but that's only of his tenure, not from the past. Oh. So but I think I think it's it's either mentioned in a short story or an audiobook or something. Um but we don't see it on screen, but you can tell that he does carry it with him, like.
0: Yeah. So no, I think the powerhouse performance by Hartnell. Yeah. Super, super great. So, on to our companions. Let's leave Sarah's discussion Hmm. to the side for a moment. Yes. Stephen, what are your thoughts on Stephen?
1: So, kind of what I said last week, Stephen is completely, for me, he's completely in the background in this story. Overall, across all 12 episodes, between Katarina, between Brett and Sarah, he's he's faded into the background. Mm. And... no well get I'll get onto like the the I'll do the negative side of things first in relation to Stephen fading into the background. Is that because he fades into the background, it almost feels like he has to try in he tries harder to prove himself. And that's exemplified when he says with his with his knowledge of science compared to the other two's far advanced knowledge of science that oh, my idea is going to work. And now what it does work, he ends up nearly killing himself. And potentially putting them at, at risk, and it's like, why like, are you that pro Are you that egotistical that you're gonna act like a fucking idiot? And then it's it's just like, even some of his actions, like you know, in episode seven, where it's like you know, the Doctor says like, you stay out here or you uh just repair the TARDIS. I was like, why did he feel that he had to dress up like a policeman and potentially fucking cause even more hassle? And then there's this whole thing of like when they sneak into the base, and he's like kind of going to say like, "Oh, we have to be very quiet," and she's like, "No shit, Sherlock, sure. like, we have to be quiet. We will be quiet." Um, now on the flip side of that though is kind of like what the doctor says. I'll carry them with me. Stephen has to live with the fact that he's the one that survived. Like he wasn't able to do anything, like when he he sees Sarah's body like in the dust pile and he's like, oh, I'll go help her. And he just pulls up her skeleton and she just crumbles into his hands. That's a traumatic experience for anyone. And what I'm going to be interested to see now is that will his kind of shoot first mentality or his aggression-based mentality, will that veer t- more towards a protective side of things for the Doctor? Because he's seen, like, they, they've actually experienced loss now for the first time. Across all their adventures together. This is the first time they've actually experienced loss.
0: Yeah. So my thing with Stephen in this story. Particularly in these A's, Is very similar to what it was last week. But I'll do the good parts first. The thing about Stephen that is very consistent. Is that he feels things 110%. Good and bad. So, you know that the loss of Katarina, maybe not so much the loss of Brett, I don't think he was particularly attached to Brett, but the loss of Katerina and Sarah's death impacted him in a big way. He is a naturally caring person. Not in the same way that we've seen other characters, like not in the same way we've seen with Ian and Barbara, not even the same way that we've seen with the Doctor, but you know, we saw in previous stories that he was very protective of Vicky. You know, We could tell that like at the end of the Mythmakers when he was delirious, he just kept calling out for Vicky. He wanted to make sure that she was okay. So I think the fact that he didn't even fucking notice that Sarah wasn't behind him until he got to the TARDIS and that Sarah is the one who went back to make sure the doctor was okay and he didn't. He did the exact thing that he gave out to Brett for doing eight episodes prior. He went off and left the doctor behind. I think that impacts him as a character. And that is one of the good things about Stephen. Is that he does carry those things with him. However. I still don't like him. His antagonistic nature. His constantly. I think. I found in this block of age. One of the things that really bothers me. Is that. Not only is he very like, antagonistic. In everything he says. But he gets up in your personal fucking space. Yeah. like He's practically yelling in their face. And you're like, dude, back the fuck off. Like, I understand that like, he gets quite odd with Katerina or with Sarah at the beginning. Because obviously Sarah killed Brett. But like, he is all up in her face. And I'm like, yeah. dude, back off. And with the doctor. He fucking questions everything. But why can't we do this? But why can't we do this? But, I, but, but why? But why? But why? It's like... Because you can't fuck off and get out of his face like it's very irritating
1: there's one thing as well like then he was like the doctor was like uncertain about trying out the navigational comp- or the directional unit and steve was like oh well we have to try at some point it's like dude you're in a fucking time machine if this thing works you can pick when you're going to land
0: yeah and like again it's very similar remember last week i was saying that like you know they were on the ship they left um Oh,
1: oh yes. I can't remember the name of the planet uh, off the top of my head. Uh, The planet that
0: the story centers around. Um, (laughs) But, you know, they were in the ship and he was like, oh, but we have to do something. But it's like, what the fuck can you do in this moment? Nothing. You can do nothing. But it's that same mentality of like, he's so argumentative over everything. Like, dude, calm the fuck down. But where it really just sort of, where this became more than, like we saw pre- like, previously we've said like, oh, is this his history on mechanist coming back? And I've said they can't really use that as an excuse because they don't mention it. But they really can't use it as an excuse now because in this episode we really saw that he is just so fucking full of himself. That he can't bear the thought that he's not right or he's not the one saving the day. He has this weird ego fucking hero complex. So he tears bits off a fucking alien ship that he has no idea what the fuck they do. It's like, oh, I think this is how they're controlling the ship. I'll just yoink it out. No idea what it does, how it does what it does, and what removing it is going to do. He just tears it off the ship. Later on, he goes around and bangs the TARDIS console. Like, don't fucking do that either. And then because he doesn't like being the butt of a timeline joke he goes and does shit without asking and nearly gets himself killed. He's so fucking full of himself.
1: Do you think Steven is the type of guy that would try to dismantle a a futuristic landmine?
0: Yes. Yes he is. (laughs) And blow his fucking face off while he's at it. Yeah. Like the doctor said it himself right and this is it was like, at this point in the episode, I paused it and I wrote this down because it really is fundamentally Stephen and why I struggle with him as a character. He says, you lack one quality above all others. Patience. All of the companions we've had up to now. They've at least had a normal level of patience, if not, you know, really good tolerance. Hmm. He has fucking zero patience whatsoever, which just makes him annoying. For me, anyway. I know some people love him, and to those people, that's your choice, but I find him incredibly fucking irritating.
1: It'll, so, like, see, so this is the thing, now, right? Is we've we've established a trend uh, across these 21 stories, right? Is that the Doctor seems to behave more favor- favorably towards the female companions. Yeah. And not in a condescending way or a molly way or anything like that. It's that if they've shown to themselves to be capable, he will rely on them because they are capable. Yeah. And like with Ian, we saw, you know, the science bros and we saw we saw Ian, you know, cock up at science broing <laughs> yes. And with Stephen, it just feels like he's constantly trying to re- rein him in. And I would like to see if The next time we get a male companion, whenever that will be, what the dynamic will be like. Is it still going to be a thing of where the male companion is gung-ho and the Doctor is like favoring of the female companions? Or is it just down to the way that Steven is?
0: Well, if you look back on last week, though, the way the Doctor was with Brett. So Mm. Brett is very gung-ho and very militaristic. Mm. And the Doctor wrote him the riot act when he killed that guy who betrayed him.
1: Daxter. that's the guy's name I looked it up yeah. it's t- <laughs>
0: <laughs> but there wasn't the same continuous antagonistic nature that we get between Stephen and the doctor hmm. And I don't know why that is. I, I don't get why like Stephen you know is traveling with the doctor. he clearly cares about him you know but he just feels this constant need to I don't know if it's to impress him. Or to actually outsmart him. I don't know if this is like. W- really fucking weird like background. You fucking left me on Mechanist to die you fucker. I don't know what it is. I, but I'm not, I'm not enjoying watching it.
1: I think it's. it's. See all right, this is it. It's by virtue of the fact okay. That you have. Two very similar scenarios. The Doctor didn't invite Ian on board. And he didn't invite Stephen on board. Hmm. However both of them ended up becoming a member of the crew. But it's this thing of where Stephen is continually trying to show that, oh, I'm just as capable of being on this thing as uh, the ship as anyone. But by doing it, he ends up putting his foot in things a lot worse. And it's like for the progress that he made on myth makers, it Again, we're back to kind of we're back to the time meddler territory now, which is like, hey, you, I want to talk to you and then just spear tackles the guy to the ground.
0: Yeah, I think it's almost worse here though, cause, like, he's all up in his friend's face mm. here. Do you know? Whereas in the t- in the time, Midler was mostly directed at the Saxons. Yeah. But here it's like, the way he speaks to Sarah is just like, back the fuck off, dude. Like, yeah, fuck off. So, maybe we should go on to Sarah.
1: Hmm. What could have been? What could have been?
0: I will be honest. Mm-hmm. I would rather Stephen had died and Sarah continued. My personal preference.
1: <laughs> like, I think in a story like this, even one companion death is plenty. Because I think we'll talk about a small bit in the overall. But it really kind of drives home the point that up until now, everything we've seen is a very lucky escape. Yeah. And that, kind of like in the game of Thrones mentality, everyone is kind of fair game. It just needs, Mm. the scenario just needs to be there, or just needs to be the right setting. And had Sarah gone on to be a complete permanent member of the crew, that would have been cool. I would have liked to have seen that. Getting rid of Steven, this is the thing now, right, is that I don't know if this was the story to get rid of Stephen. I, I, as much as we're giving out about him, and like, it, like, as much as it's justifiable to give out about him in these scenarios, I don't know if killing him off in the same story is as this is an answer.
0: No, but if I had to pick between the two, oh then. yeah,
1: <laughs> oh, oh yeah, <laughs> fair enough. If someone uh,
0: had to die, then yeah.
1: As I mentioned during the trivia section, what I like about her is that she's initially portrayed as this remorseless killer. Yeah, but it's actually because she's a she's die hard loyal to Earth and the protection of Earth and by extension the Sol system because you know that's how the universe op- or the galaxy operates at that point in time and the, like. I love her kind of interactions with Chen where it's like you know ah she's come to save me and it's like yeah right fuck off.
0: Yeah, and for, like, one of the things that I really liked about her was that. Initially, she like she did come across as very cold, and I didn't believe her line of, you know, he was my brother. Mm. No, that like don't even make them be related. It makes no fucking sense. Like, yeah. th- there's no point because apparently, kill in, kill on sight runs in the family in that case. Like, because that makes no sense. But if we remove that, you know, she is clearly very flustered. It's like, but he said, and I just wanted to, and you had, and but she very quickly comes to realise okay I was misled Hmm. and she owns that and she fucking moves forward with it she recognises the Doctor's intelligence but she also has her own and that's what I love she isn't just a mindless grunt she actually is intelligent and she understands things very well
1: and like that's kind of what I said in uh, last week's episode that Carlton refers to her as his top agent Yeah, and it's like okay well she's clearly proving it it's it's not like that. She's a toady or a suck up or anything. Like that's like she she obviously got to that status by following through on her actions and like by, by hard graft. Uh mentioning Brett, I would think I would have liked to have seen a bit more references to the fact that she fucking killed her brother for a lie, or
0: yeah, that that's why I think they they should have left it out because they they weren't yeah. going to use it anyway. Like she never mentions it ever again. There's that one outburst, and then that's it. I don't think I don't think they even like no one even mentions Brett's name again
1: no like even when like she's like confronting Chen she doesn't like you know you made me kill my brother or that type of thing or even when she's you know dying like a you know a call out you know to Brett or whatever no there's Um, nothing
0: so I just just ignore the line and this story works exactly the same
1: yeah but yeah like it's I, you can kind of see, you're right? Potentially, where Stephen was com- coming from, like in the sense of, you know, like, well, I've been here longer. Why should I be left out? And it's like, look, she's from a time. That's the one thing that, um, I think Vicky was guilty of a small bit as well. Is that you have to realize that you're from a different time than this other person. So you either had the advantage over them, in which case you need to be fucking graceful in victory, or you're they're advanced from you. So you have to kind of sit back and realize that they know what I'm talking about, what they're talking about a bit better than you do so you know just sack up
0: yeah but he doesn't like not being the one to know everything and like we're we're making about him again but i think yeah what i like with sarah though is that she is perfectly capable of getting the job done she knows what she needs to do she doesn't need anyone holding her hand like while the two boys were fucking off in the police station doing weird shit she had a weird interaction with the policeman which she didn't quite fully understand and then she was like okay well I have to fix the ship. So she's went and fixed the ship. Now how you fix a scanner array on something that looks like a police box I don't know. Mm. Did she just climb on top of it and like bang it. Turn the light in the right direction? I don't know. Um, but the point was that she fixed it. You know, She fixed it. She's got on with it and I like that about her. So of course I like her. Um, so of course she had to die the most ridiculous death ever
1: Um, so two things about her death one it kind of says a lot about her that in the short time that they've been with she would go back and try and save the doctor
0: yes Uh,
1: because again like we've seen this kind of mentality of maybe it runs in the family but sacrifices need to be made to ensure our home and our people and our way of life continues such as like that's the reason why she killed her brother because but i th- i have a feeling that had brett been like if brett had continued on brett would have done the exact same thing he would have risked his life for the doctor and sarah does that and she rushes back for a man that you know she's already just met has gotten her to a whole heap of trouble has potentially made her a wanted fugitive but she runs back to do the right thing and try and save him
0: i think With that, I wonder, because I do think Brett would have made the exact same choice. And I do think, like going back even further, I think Corey would have made the same choice if Corey had been in that situation. Mm. Because they understand sacrifices have to be made. But it's their duty to make that sacrifice. It's their duty to defend the solid system. It is not the doctor, from their point of view. It yeah. is not the doctor's. So someone has to stay behind. Someone has to lay on the grenade. Someone has to lie on the wire. Whatever the case may be. And they are fully willing and ready for it to be them. And you know her going back for him is. He shouldn't be the one to do that. I will go back and I will try and save him. And I will try and get him out of this. Because it's my duty. I have—I am prepared to lay on the wire and take the head I think Brett would have done the same I think Corey would have done the same because those three idolize or like they are a reflection of what I imagine their organization was meant to be you know
1: I would love to know if any of like there's you know uh, books or any audio stuff on my Big Finish that has those three characters as part of like a squad on a mission or something like that oh that'd be so it would, cool it'd be amazing we need to look that up uh, the second thing I just want to point uh, call out about Sarah uh, and this is my last point in her I think is a call out to the amazing job done by Luce Cannon to recreate that horrifying death scene
0: yeah my reaction so I watched this last night and my reaction was literally just to message Paddy and be like Jesus Christ what the fuck was that again i knew from general who knowledge that sarah didn't make it out of the story i knew that already but fucking hell i didn't i thought she was gonna get shot or something i did not expect full fucking indiana jones treatment Mm. to the nth degree and like i said massive kudos to those cannon guys because the look of horror and fear and terror on her face as it's happening that shit is fucking dark like i get you know she didn't want to stay on to do the series that that's fine but fuck me what a way to kill her off
1: yeah and like it's i think that's with anything you know when you know someone is going to die um it's like all right like a, a prime example is that show i keep talking to you about uh berserk yeah. you like when you watch it you know something bad happened to the previous character or to the other characters by watching through to reach that resolution you get attached to them and you kind of grow to like them love them whatever the case may be as we did here with sarah we grew to really like her and then you see the death and the death is way worse than you could ever possibly imagine it being so the impact is it's really like a brick to the face type whoa
0: yeah what i would compare it to is <laughs> do you remember when we watched game of thrones yeah way back when so yeah. i hadn't read any of the books. And I did the weird me thing where three episodes in, I was like, well, he's not going to make it past this. This is going to happen. This is this. This yeah. is that. Right. Which I have this weird ability to do. Um, but I knew about the Red Wedding. Because mm. we had talked about it. Because I guessed something. And so then you and I were able to discuss it. Yeah. So I knew about the Red Wedding going in. Watching the fucking Red Wedding, though. Yeah. Even knowing it going in, that shit was fucked up. And that's exactly what this was like for me. I knew Sarah wasn't going to make it past the end of the episode. I was waiting and waiting for the moment. And then he says that he's turned on the time disruptor and we didn't really find out what the time disruptor did.
1: Hmm.
0: And I was like, oh, it's an isolated time dilation field. Shit. And she's still going she's still trying to do it. i'm like oh my god it was horrific jesus christ like
1: so how about we move on to the bastards that caused the death of this character and and led to the deaths of other characters
0: yeah i think if we start with the delegates again my yeah. only word for the delegates is that they're stupid
1: I just said like because I mentioned them in part one I just had to throw him a bone here and just say like you like he add absolutely nothing to the conversation other than the bureaucratic whinge factor yeah they're,
0: they're stupid yeah and one of them I, I wondered what the impact he had on you because he but speaks button. like this he's constantly uh, hissing as he's speaking
1: do you just want to get like a cork and just like plug it in there going right that takes care of that leak <laughs>
0: I was thinking more so of you and
1: snakes. Oh, well, see, this is the thing now. If the a, if a guy looks reptilian, yeah, no, goodbye, good so long, I'm <laughs> out of here. Um, but because it's just a guy with elongated S's, it's just like, you know, like, see a speech therapist.
0: Okay, so the delegates are stupid and yes. we were expecting this from Mission to the Unknown. Which is fine. Who would you consider to be next on the totem pole? The Monk or Mavic Chen?
1: The monk Because I think Chen deserves Like his own Fucking special pedestal <laughs> Yeah uh, The monk No, For a character Known as the meddling monk He seems to be The one that gets Fucked over a fair amount
0: Yeah so My note on this Right Is I thought the monk Was a really interesting character When we did the meddling monk When we did yeah, The time meddler The time meddler Yeah Right This is such a Fucking waste Of his character
1: It, it really is
0: it's like they needed a way for them to get back to Kelbos? Whatever the freaking name
1: Kemble. of the is. What? Kemble. Kemble. Kelbos, Jesus. I
0: don't know. So they needed a way for them to get back to Kemble. Because they have to get back to the TARDIS. This is the bit I was talking about last week. You know, They've left the TARDIS and they have no way to get back. So then they get back to the TARDIS But then they need to get back to Campbell again. But the TARDIS can't go back to the same place twice. We know that already. Hence Ian and Barbara being Ian and Barbara. So the only reason why the monk is there from a storytelling point of view is so that the Doctor can steal part of his ship. That is literally it. Mm. But my question is, if the Doctor could take the directional control unit... From the Monk's TARDIS. Why didn't he take it. During the time meddler.
1: That is a very very good question. And the only thing I could think of. Is that it wasn't a priority. For him at that time. Because I think. He didn't have the responsibility. Of getting Vicky. Back to her home. Because she said that she was happy to travel with him. And at that stage of the game, I don't think he particularly cared for Stephen.
0: But surely he would want to be able to pilot the ship properly. He had always said that he planned to fix it. He wanted to fix it. Here there was a free one and he didn't take it. But then two stories later or three stories later or whatever, when we need him to be able to pilot the TARDIS back to the planet he just left, which we've already said he cannot fucking do, he takes it. And that's the only reason why the monk is there. It's such a waste of his character.
1: Actually, I think a more a reasonable answer might be the fact of, as he said in the story, that it's the difference in the type. It may not be compatible. So he didn't want to risk at the time when he didn't need it. He didn't want to risk using it.
0: But he could still have taken it and tried to repurpose it or adapt it or research it. The point is they hadn't thought of it.
1: I know that's really now. Weird. It's this it's the same was he, it's Dennis Spooner it's the yeah. same writer. <laughs> so like. he
0: clearly he clearly was backed into a corner so he used yeah. his own character that he created to write himself out of the corner. And for a character like the monk who like I didn't even know who he was until we watched the time meddler but I'd heard of him so much in the fandom. This is his second and last story. What a fucking waste. Yeah. It's such a waste I really Like you were saying That like they have Like big finish stuff With him in it I really hope That it's good Because that character Deserves more
1: We'll just have to Purchase it and see <laughs> uh, But like Yeah it's I, Like I really Really enjoy the monk not, And the thing is Not because he's A viable threat I, You never get the impression That he's actually Going to win You no. just get the impression That he's going to be Just a pain in the fucking hole He's like a Scooby Doo villain um and I but that's perhaps had the charm. It's it's almost like um remember going back to Marco Polo, Tagana. It was like, you know, how will Tagana succeed this week? Or like you'll fuck up this week. It a case of how will like how will the monk pull a dick dastardly and fuck up. Um but I, I I love the monk. He's just like such a kind of a tap dancing kind of, you know, fellow. Oh, he's, he's brilliant. I love him. Yeah. He's fantastic. I'm with you but actually no it's a it's a it's a ruse it's a trick actually no I'm tricking them uh, I just realized I'm talking to both of you at the same time it's all a trick <laughs> Smoke but he's bomb. Me, he's
0: talking he's talking like which of these will get me out of this fucking situation I didn't want to be in the first place Yeah, yeah it's I just, just like, wanted to get the doctor back why why the fuck am I now dealing with Daleks and who the fuck is this and Yeah I'll I'll help you Sure
1: Oh god um would you like to see him back in uh, the, the current era?
0: Yes. If they yeah. could get someone who could do the personality well. Because I would like to see the monk as the monk. Because, like we said, like the monk isn't his fucking name. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But, that's, but I that's would like th- to see the monk. So unfortunately that means recasting him but I wouldn't want it to have him be regenerated I want him to be the monk
1: but see this is the qu- this is the question now right is that when the monk regenerates are they still the monk because clearly like like is it like just like uh, do they like just like the fact that they like wearing uh, 16th century or sorry uh, 11th century habits
0: well this is the thing that I said in the time meddler his name isn't the fucking monk
1: <laughs> yeah they just refer he to him d- as the it's the, the monk.
0: same way as like the doctor hmm he was dr foreman and then he just became the doctor it's like <laughs>
1: actually no. ag- actually again our uh, our listener shane uh, he put up a message saying that uh, when we mentioned the monk he thought we meant monk from the uh, tony shallow <laughs> the, the, the tv show monk <laughs> uh, i think i think that's cool you know, maybe it's yeah. a, maybe it's a, a spin off um, but yeah as you say it's a it's a unfortunately it's a waste of the character especially seeing how Peter didn't survive uh, long enough to come back into the show yeah. and yeah so we, I think we'll just need to kind of track down the big finish stuff and give a listen to it
0: yeah definitely
1: so on to Mavic Chen
0: mm. immortal are you Mavic immortal yeah yeah
1: oh there's just like so there were so many things going through like my head in that last episode there was Wash his line from Firefly: "Curse your sudden but inevitable betrayal." <laughs> there was uh, Robot Chicken, you know, Vader pick up the Emperor. Wait, what are you doing? Put me down! Put me down! Ah! And then there was Father Ted. How dare you do this to me? I'm Henry Sellers. <laughs> just like oh, pick what, whatever you know metaphor you want, just pick it and apply it to Mavic Chen because that's what you got at the end.
0: Yeah, Mavic Chen,
1: dickhead of the universe. I just, like, it It was, like, a weird thing is that, like, the more power he got, the dumber he seemed to grow.
0: <laughs> but it was also the more fuck-ups that happened, the more power he got, the dumber he appeared to be.
1: Uh, just, like... Do you know?
0: It's, like, you know, at the start, you know, the unobtainium or whatever gets taken. Terranium. Terranium. He gets taken. You can tell, like clearly don't care about certain parts of the story yeah the terranium gets taken and he gets charged with going back to earth for it and then earth fucks up and they send the doctor and steven away with the terranium. And he's like oh no i sent it to you i sent them there for you and that works and then Sarah's like, oh no you lost them you lost them i sent them to you you lost them like it's not my fault like i mean what can you do also maybe it was this guy mm. with that guy <laughs> That guy who like is really close to you that I want to be him maybe it was that guy, and I'm like, oh, you just fucking—he's the quintessential example of failing upwards. Oh yeah. And being a giant dickhead.
1: Absolutely, but what what's the weird thing is right? The fur the more that happened, the less interesting he became. I st- I I actually stopped being kind of invested in his story. When they landed in Egypt.
0: Yeah. I, I, was
1: like, oh, I was like you're just look you're not interesting because i not for one second do i believe that you have some master stroke that you're going to fuck over the daleks no Nor like, do i believe that you're it was like all the ruse that you're going to be a good guy or something it's like no like you are just you you are like you are paid that went that could have gone somewhere else you know
0: yeah like he was an interesting character last week and you were kind of interested, like, what kind of story did he tell? What kind of power does he have over people? Yeah, there was a little bit of interest there. I, I, I couldn't have given a shit about him this week.
1: And it's a shame because when you get when you get really good actors, like, so Kevin Stoney, did a really good job portraying Chen, mm. and he does a really good job with the other stories that he's in. But when you have a character then that just really does disservice to the actor, it's just it's just annoying. Because now we have to talk about this character that's the legacy of this actor and it's just like no but the actor's really good just the character's a fucking idiot. Yeah. It's the same way we're talking about like you know Stevens like you know Peter Purvis you know like is like a huge you know icon in terms of Doctor Who fandom like you know he does a lot of conventions he does a lot of stuff with Big Finish and he contributes a whole lot. It's just unfortunate the character that is his legacy for us isn't something to really write home about.
0: Yeah. And other people like him you know.
1: Yeah. That's, that's but that's why I said that's why I said for us. I'm pretty sure, like, that other people here would, like, think Mayweather Chen is, like, a really good villain. It's just that, for me, I don't think that, I think as time went on, he became less of a threat.
0: No, he just became this weird caricature of a character, really. Yeah. So, we go on to the big bad, which mm-hmm. is the Daleks. Now, yeah. I have one question. So I always have these, I have one question things. I have one question for you with the Daleks, right? Cool. So the whole reason why Mavic Chen had to be involved in the first place is because you can only get teranium mm-hmm. on Uranus. And <laughs> it takes 50 years only laughing
1: at The The, the wonderful <laughs> sidestepping of like just that <laughs> giant giggle fest. You can only get teranium.
0: <laughs> you can only get teranium on Uranus. Are you happy?
1: <laughs> I was going to um, say from Uranus, but... <laughs> <laughs>
0: And it takes 50 years for them to generate the amount that Mavic Chen brought with him.
1: Yeah. Which to be honest which strange enough doesn't last a whole fucking lot.
0: No. Which, which is all about like how unobtainium-ish Terranium is. Now I, I found a fatal flaw. They have time machines. Yep. Just go back to the past and harvest as much of that as you want. While human beings were still a twinkle in some weird amoeba eye. Just, like, you have a time machine. This is now confirmed that this takes place after the chase in the Dalek's personal timeline. Mm -hmm. They have time machines that they use to chase down the Doctor to get back the Terranium. Just go back in time, go to Uranus, and fucking mine more! Like, This is the problem with time travel in science fiction. But it's also a problem when you have your villain has the ability to travel through time. And you have something that they're trying to get from somebody else. That that there's only one of... Then go back in time and fucking get it then.
1: I actually have a question for you in terms of that, right? Uh, You being a scientist would be able to answer this for me. (laughs) Go on. All right. Okay. So, um, elements. Yes. Are they always in existence? Or, like, so, for example, like, you know, like, ter- ter- teranium is, is an element that needs to be mined from a specific planet. But, like, since the creation of that planet, ha- does teranium coincide with the existence of that planet or is it something that develops over time? Same way with, like, you know, I don't know, like, t- uh, was it Tin or Zinc or cesarium?
0: Technically speaking, every element that ever existed, already exists. Okay. Because... Big bang creation of the yeah, yeah, cool. universe and
1: stuff like that. Welcome to Science Hour.
0: Yeah. <laughs> However, you know, within a science fiction-y context, I mean, Tony Stark created a new element. Yeah. You know, within a science fiction context, yeah, like, if you... You could artificially alter one element to become another. Cool. But in terms of like the periodic table of elements, the reason why the periodic table of elements works is because even though we hadn't discovered everything, we knew where everything fit. Right. Because everything has a position and set thing.
1: So in that regards, is it possible that, no, this is again just our can because I'm, I'm pretty sure maybe the writers didn't conceive of this, is that is teranium an artificially constructed element at which point a Dalek invasion of Uranus, <laughs> a Dalek invasion of Uranus, would have caused a lot more trouble than just fucking strike you up in alliance with an idiot
0: no my my understanding based on the way it's told in the story is that it's a naturally occurring element that only naturally occurs on Uranus
1: cool perfect alright so yeah again I think there's an off like another plot hole like another gap in the writing of this story Yeah.
0: beyond that the Daleks did exactly what I said they do in Mission to the Unknown they turned on the delegates which we knew they Cor- would do
1: of course they did um. So, do you have any other thoughts about the Daleks? Or because mm-hmm. I have a couple of little right. So one, Dalek Supreme is cold blooded, mm-hmm. absolutely cold blooded, and I've just got Rick James in my head going cold blooded, um, or oh, merciless. And again, like, we got the taste of the hierarchy of, you know, Dalek civilization. But because this was an inv- like the preparation for an invasion, like we saw like an in invasion of Earth, the invasion had already happened mm-hmm. in the and everything else we've just seen as like small pockets of Dalek society interacting with the doctor. Whereas here we see an invasion force. So the, I would have loved to have seen was like a war council with representatives from like the Dalek Science Division or the Military Division or logistics and that type of stuff and actually issuing. Oh, I know budget constraints were a thing. But I'm pretty sure they could have just rigged up some of the existing Daleks to look, you know, have different little pointy hats or insignias on them for the different divisions. Because I'm really interested to see how their like society works. Is it just there's a Dalek Supreme and then everyone else is multi skilled, except for that one fucking navigator that can't do math from the chase? <laughs> um, or is or is there actual like divisions that they all go into?
0: I would think there's divisions because Mm. there's some Daleks whose casing is equipped slightly differently,
1: Mm.
0: which would imply that they are trained for a different task. And like the Daleks aren't, they're not like a hive mind or anything. No, no. I mean, they're individual entities. So I think it would be that you have like navigation Daleks and you have like you have time squad Daleks who are the Daleks who do the time ship. Hmm. Um, so I think there is more to the hierarchy than just the Supreme Dalek but yeah I would be interested to see how that works
1: yeah I I, I, think I would just like have been like five or six of them just reporting to the Dalek Supreme that's like and again it would just put down the existence of there are these all these separate divisions that we can expand upon in later and I know that down the line with the more we get into Dalek lore there there are different models of Daleks that come out but um, I just wanted to know that's all I was saying
0: yeah No, I I completely agree with you. I think that would be very interesting.
1: So that's the characters' discussions done. Another interesting uh, viewpoint on our Doctor, Companions and Villains. So how about we move into the overall section and now we give our score for this week and last week in the overall for the 12 episodes.
0: Cool. So I have been struggling with my score, and actually, through our discussion, I have changed it three times. (laughs) Oh, wow. (laughs) Like, literally, as we've been talking, I've been changing it. So, last night when I finished this up, I had given the overall story, which is all 12, a 2.5. Then, after we talked about the doctor, I bumped it up, and Sarah, I bumped it up to a three because they both were brilliant. Then we talked about the time meddler and the whole issue with the Daleks so why didn't they just use the time machine to go back and t- It's a 2.75. It's... <laughs> and it bothered me because like looking at these back eight, that's where all points were lost.
1: Hmm.
0: All of them. <laughs> I'll be honest, right? <laughs> I wasn't a big fan of Katarina as a character and so but I didn't like the way they did her death either. Because I didn't fully buy into the whole self-sacrifice component of it. Just because of the way they set her up. But I could kind of take that or leave it. Do you know? That would have maybe dropped those first four episodes down to a 4.5. Because I think those first four were really, really good. Really strong. Really interesting idea. What the fuck happened with these eight? Like, episode seven? What the shit? Like... I get that they didn't want to have this massively fucking depressing episode on on Christmas Day but the 180 that they did and I know these weren't designed to be binge watched (laughs) they were designed to be watched once a week but like the complete 180 in fucking tone like that's crazy you're watching a good Dalek story and then What the fuck is this? (laughs) Like, it makes no sense. And from that point on, from episode 7 onwards, the pace and the tone are all over the fucking map. You know, are we meant to be laughing and having fun? Is it meant to be serious? It fucking goes up and down. And not in the usual way the Doctor kind of flip flops, this is just like the show itself. Not knowing whether it wants to be funny, whether it wants to be dark, whether it wants to alternate one episode over the other. Like, when you consider the fact that in this story, we have three deaths of companions or story-based companions. And those deaths are all quite horrific. Like, even Brett's, Like, he gets shot in the head. Mm. You know with all of that and then in the middle of it we have a fucking weird 1920s movie (laughs) set what the fuck was that and actually had had they just kept it at the police episode had the whole episode been based around the police station that actually would have been fine I wouldn't have minded Mm. because Katerina makes the point when they land where she's like oh doctor we've landed on your planet and he's like what? what do you mean? she's like police your machine says police and that says police.
1: Oh, you mean Sarah? There was a yeah, no, Catalina Sarah. Didn't. Yeah,
0: I do mean Sarah. Yeah. So Sarah makes that point. And so that would have been really interesting to see him trying to explain to her that he's actually not from there. You see her and Stephen in Earth's modern past would have been interesting. But what the fuck was with the second half? And the whole like William Hartnell wink to camera Merry Christmas thing. Like what the hell?
1: Yeah, it was oh, it was it was so weird. Like would <laughs> during during my recap under my in my head I was kind of going like just like fuck episode 7. Fuck episode 7. But like
0: the fact that they wrote an episode specifically to be removable. Then just don't have an episode Film a special or something.
1: You know, like yeah, cuz like it actually you you often hear about uh, shows that get extra episodes thrown into them just to like fill up a quota or some some other such kind of bullshit. And it's like, but it does damage to the overall. Like like just recently, I finished watching the '90s series series of the X Men, and the like, <laughs> the one of the guys. Yeah, exactly. Uh, my my daughter is obsessed with that intro. Um, but like the it was going so popular that the. Chaim Saibon The guy that uh, His production company Was doing it Made them do more episodes Beyond the intended ending And that's actually From that uh, book That he gave me For my birthday Which is awesome And it was like Because None of the production crews Or the animation studios Were on hand To do these More episodes They gave them To a different animation studio And the animation Is just fucking awful Like all the normal writers Were there trying to Come up with these stories that, That They just didn't have The actual impact As the original ending Would have had and I think yeah, like when you do something like this, just to kind of fill a quota, or even if it's just like oh we can't have people being sad on Christmas, then take a fucking week's break.
0: Yeah, or or like film a special, you know? Yeah. That you know is designed to be a special that lives separately that you wouldn't include it in this block or whatever. But I think that was a a, a poor choice. Um, my yeah. other my other thing with it is the sheer amount of death (laughs) like fucking hell this is dark but like with the whole time disruptor thing had they just hidden it and run back to the tardis would they both have been okay because the reason they're going slowly is because they're trying not to drop it but had they just hidden it under a bush and run
1: well see this is the thing though was that like the it's affecting the entire... From from what we're led to believe, it's affecting the entire planet. So, would it have made a difference? Because I always assumed that they were carrying it with them so that the Daleks wouldn't get it.
0: Well, yeah, but if you just hide it... Mm. And then run. Like, if it's affecting the entire planet... Then get off the planet. But the reason why they were going so slowly is because they were trying not to damage it. Okay. So, if you put it down and run... Because they weren't running, they were walking. <laughs> yeah. Um, the last thing that I would have on this is... And I don't want to be over the top with this, but does this new producer just hate women? Like, firing Maureen O'Brien for expressing her opinion. Killing Katarina using an airlock. And then having Sarah wither and die in this horrific aging sequence on screen. Like, what the fuck did women ever do to him in a previous life?
1: And as well, I suppose we can consider the destruction of the Draven on the planet. Yeah.
0: Like, what did women ever do to this man? (laughs)
1: Um, Also, as well, under his tenure, the last uh, one, two, three, four stories have have had quite a large amount of debt. Like, you've got the, the Draven being completely destroyed with the planet. You've got... Corey and uh, Lowry and Garvey all dying in various ways on in Mission to the Unknown. You have the Mitmakers, which deals with the sack of Troy, and I'm pretty sure there was some scenes that are missing mm. due to the lost nature of the episode that probably would have been on a bit the darker side. And now you've got this. So, like, are we getting to the stage of where it's like, what you know, Mary Whitehouse in her fucking crusade against uh, television violence? probably latched on to granted know that came like several years later but you can kind of see this as a precursor to it
0: yeah because like it's it's fucking dark man it is fucking dark and like maybe that's maybe he wanted to make it darker like you know, a couple of years from now we're gonna have Philip Hinchcliffe you know one of my favorite producers and his yeah. stories are very dark but he doesn't fucking airlock people like what the hell
1: this is the thing now right because like my first exposure to, to Doctor Who was the the Hinchcliffe era I, maybe I'm a bit more desensitised to like this level of violence that appears in Who and I kind of it's like are we now entering the stage of where Doctor Who is a case of not everyone is safe because like du- like during uh, as I said during like the, the Ian and Barbara era it was a case of oh like you know, they're in this precarious situation will they get out well yeah there's a fair chance they will get out you know they're the heroes of the story whereas nowhere it just seems like everything is potentially fair game
0: yeah maybe i just think there's another way that you can do it without doing it that way but
1: so you're saying 2.75 yeah
0: yes yep. cool. final answer so <laughs> i'm like you
1: I'm, I'm like you i initially started off a bit higher than my final score i had 3.75 and now it's down to just a flat three uh, because like this is the first epic Doctor Who story, and there will be more to come. And it's a it's a real roller coaster. Like it's like there's some great performances from, you know, Hartnell and Gene uh, Marsh, and I I oh Nick Courtney, and I do quite like Adrian Hills' kind of sequence. You know, time as Katarina, especially the death sequence, because like it's that's a pretty intense scene. Um, like most of our villains. So, like, Peter Butterworth, you know, underused, misused, but still great to see him. And, of course, the Daleks. The Daleks proving that, again, they're a quintessential villain for a reason. Uh, you know, it's they're up there in the pantheon of, like, you know, great science fiction villains along with Darth Vader and, uh, you know, the Klingons. Or the Borg, or whoever you want it to be. Um, now, the detractors for this are the Lent... Of the story Like episode 7 Didn't need to be a thing The Egypt part Could have been Two epi- Could have been one episode it, I feel like they could have Shaved off about maybe Three Possibly four episodes From this um, And it's uh, It's uh, It was just a slog To get through it, re- it really was Especially with the Disjointed nature of it Because it's so serious And dark And then it's Weirdly lighthearted. Then it's Kind of Whimsical a small bit With the Egypt thing Like at one point You have the Egyptian soldiers Wedging bricks underneath A dalek to stop it from moving And instead attacking you With a spear um, And then like With Chen Chen just became Like an annoyance He stopped becoming A believable villain And That didn't really Kind of hold with me Seeing So he had started so strong That okay I can get You know his Megalomania And his egotism Kind of Deludes him a small bit but I, I find it hard to believe that he would have gotten that dumb as time went on
0: yeah i think i can understand where you're giving the the solid 3.0 um for me i i, I can't like i it got 2.75 because of the premise and the amazing performances which were fucking phenomenal like
1: absolutely well, amazing. And, and, and like that's why the like, that's why my thing is three because again the premise and the performances um and like as well the ballsy decision to try and make a doctor who epic story
0: yeah but for me like it's it's way too long it's way too disjointed the tone and the mood is all over the place and like i messaged you last night being like why the fuck are dalek stories so long (laughs) and uh, i know the answer viewers like daleks Hmm. i'm a viewer I like the Daleks. But fuck me. Like, this is the Thals all over again. You don't need to make their stories super fucking long. Make them quick, make them effective, and then people will like them more.
1: Mm. Do
0: you know? 12 episodes where the Daleks aren't even in a lot of it. You know, they're background characters in a lot of it. I don't know. I think it was an interesting experiment. In my mind, it didn't succeed. But we'll see. You know, future stories, we'll see how long they get. And if they get any better in telling these super long, super long stories.
1: So, I guess that's it for this week. And this epic saga has concluded.
0: It has, indeed. So, usually... When a companion leaves, Paddy and I have done a ramblings in the TARDIS where we have discussed that companion, their high points, their low points, etc. We have decided to forego doing that for Caterina and Sarah and Brett because they were effectively in one story, and we already discussed what we liked and didn't like about them and their impact and stuff like that. So. We will not be doing a rambling in the TARDIS this week.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Which means you can join us again next week when we see what adventures await Stephen and the Doctor in the massacre of St. Bartholomew's Eve. Which sounds fucking delightful.
1: (laughs) So, until next week, guys. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.